everyone. You are listening to The Magic Hour. Today we're talking about shamanism with the magical healer, author, teacher, and modern day shaman, Itzhak Berry. He has written three books on shamanism and teaches classes around the world. Itzhak is here to share with us how he got into shamanism and some tips for anyone who can start using shamanic practices in their life today. Hey everybody, Shireen here. Welcome to The Magic Hour. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The Magic Hour drops every Sunday for your enjoyment, and show notes are found on mylittlemagicshop.com, our official sponsor. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed, Spotify, or iTunes. You can also follow me on Instagram at mylittlemagicshop and Facebook. All links are in the show notes, so let's get to the show. Our guest today is modern shaman, author, and teacher, Itzhak Berry. He started his journey in shamanism over 25 years ago. Welcome, Itzhak. <laughs> I'm so thrilled to have you. <laughs> I'm so happy to be with you. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. I read on your bio that you were a skeptical atheist. Can you tell me a little bit about your life before shamanism? You know, I was born in Israel. Uh, in a kibbutz, which is a commune, uh, communist commune or Zionist commu- uh, commune of people who fled Europe because of the Nazism and the fascist, where we are experiencing it now here, that they were afraid for their life and they wanted to move to go to a place where it's a little safer and return to the old culture or old land that the Jews were driven away from. And with this dream, they dreamed of becoming farmers again, agriculture, to work the land. Because in Europe, one way that they control the Jews is not giving them their possibility to work the land, to become to become farmers, uh, because they didn't want them to have any kind of uh, title on the land, which is kind of similar to what Black people did here in the United States. We're disconnected from the land. And so there was a big desire in the Zionist movement to uh, establish farms, a collective farm, so people would live in a totally different way that uh, they lived in Europe. And so they denounced the religious part and they adopted really more of an agriculture culture. That's where I grew up. I grew up on a, on a slope of a mountain, Mount Gilboa, that was written in the Bible. We, we basically celebrated uh, the holidays, uh, the, the seasonal holidays, um, harvest, the new moon, the, the uh, new beginning of spring, uh, the, the darkness, uh, what we call Hanukkah or Christmas. Or We really celebrated in many ways what shamanism celebrated. We didn't know, we didn't have a name for that. And we also were very, very remote. So we had a lot of uh, wild animals all around us and uh, we were very close to the to the elements, to the rain, to the sun, to the fire. Uh, we had a lot of fires on the, on, the, on the mountains. And so we grew up really uh, very much uh, in nature. And of course, when I grew up, I, I, I wanted to be in town, you know, in the biggest town, because I was, I, was an, I was an artist, I was a painter. And I moved to Tel Aviv and I, I studied art and I studied dance and I studied music and all of that. And uh, I lived there in Tel Aviv for a few years, I think seven years or something like that. And then uh, my wife and I moved to New York to further our art education. And, and uh, I, <clears throat> I had a, an art career here in New York. 
my advertising agency to support us. Uh, we, we raised kids. When I arrived around the age of my 30s, uh, I started to feel like really there's something is missing that I didn't really want to leave to do advertising for brands that I didn't really believe in. I, I did work for Gucci and Revlon and Ferragamo and other places like, <laughs> like that. I did small advertising. Not, I didn't do the big advertising, but I was involved in all of that. And, and, um, I did also advertising for small companies. It was exciting in the beginning, but at the end, you really felt like, I felt like I really contributed to some waste for something that does not really make, make any difference. And I think that, you know, thank God for midlife crisis, because then you ask, start to ask questions, you know, what the hell are we doing here? Why are we doing what we do? And, and so I, I, in, in the late 30s, I was starting to feel depressed. I started to feel you know, it doesn't make any sense what I do. And I really went, started to feel that I really need to understand the meaning of life in many ways, which is what the 40s are. I happened to read a book about shamanism by, by Hank Russellman, uh, Spirit Walker. And you, you're all welcome to read it. It's, it it's very, you it's very, me in class. <laughs> it's very, very topical now for, for the, what we are experiencing now in global warming. And I really felt like so many of my questions with these books, uh, he, he wrote fabulous books about all of that. It's a trilogy. In the book, he was mentioning a workshop with, Mike, with Michael Horner, uh, the, the guy who created uh, the course Shamanism. I, I was not aware of, of shamanism at all. You know, I, would, I never really thought that I have any kind of spiritual inclination. It's not that I did not have experiences. We all have experiences. I had dreams that materialized. I had feelings that I knew things. And I was always very attracted to people who do this kind of work. But I always felt like other people have that, not me. You know, why me? You know, a, a guy from kibbutz, you know, never had any kind of training in that. And Minus uh, the whole, you lived in nature and we're kind of like living, like so connected with nature and animals. So it's like you did, but, you know, I get it though. Well, I didn't, I didn't pay attention to it because it was very natural for me. Yeah. But I, but I never really associated it with a quality that I have within me to see spirit or to work with spirit or do healing work. And then in this workshop, I started to see that there are, that I can go doing journey work like, you know, you did too, that really can help other people. That was like a revelation. And I started to understand that there is more to the world than the world that we see. Actually, the world that we see is the, 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 the smaller part of the, of the whole world of the cosmic world, which was a, a great revelation for me. And then I took another workshop with John Perkins, um, the guy who he did a lot of trips to, the, to Ecuador and to the Amazon, to the Andes to work with his teachers. And I, I took a workshop with him and he suggested that or told us that he's doing a trip to Ecuador. And I said, I got to go. I just knew it. I didn't know what it was about, but I just like in my gut, I knew that I have to go. And of course, I had all the excuses why not to go because I didn't have the money. I didn't have the time. I have employees in my advertising agency. I had clients with deadlines. And I said, it would be that totally crazy to leave people now for two weeks and just go to the Amazon and to the Andes. But I, I just had this incredible gut feeling that I have to go. And I didn't listen to my family that screamed that I should not go. And I, and, I, and I went. On that trip, I met uh, a person that later on became my, my teacher. 
Jose Joaquin Pineda from the Andes. I also went to the Shuar and I had my first medicine on ayahuasca, Natema tree for journey. And I came back from that trip. I was like totally transformed. Transformed in many ways, but I was also very depressed because oh. these experiences that I had was so overwhelming that I saw incredible visions that were correlating to the to our world and i couldn't put these two differences the, the two worlds together and that's really happened to a lot of us and sometimes we think that the, our dreams and visions are separated from our own reality but it's actually not i mean if you can hold that idea but anyway so i i, I walked like that for eight months i was like really really depressed i mean really i, I just like couldn't put this Thing together because I had these experiences and I and I had physical experiences from those visions and with the shamans in in and I I met the jaguars and all of that so it was like true, really overwhelming. And then I imagine that like once you got back, it was also like now you're back into the real world and you're expected to you know go back to work, deal with your employees, have dinner with your family, and just like kind of move on for this, which I imagine is completely, really difficult to balance that. Absolutely. So overwhelming. And I think that that's why I'm, I'm telling people that before they go to the Amazon, before they go to all these experiences, they really have to feel, to learn more about shamanism and, and working with spirit so they can ground themselves that when they come back, it would not be so overwhelming. And that's very typical of people who have never, never done this experience. And I already had a few experiences in shamanism. Like I took a workshop with Michael Hunter a few times and, and uh, John Perkins. So I, I had it, a way of dealing with it. But yeah. for people who go there unprepared, I think that could be quite a, quite a shock. Yeah, I can absolutely imagine that. I feel like that's probably one of the reasons why I'm like, I wanted, I really wanted to go with you uh, this year, but then, you know, COVID happened and I was like, I'm going next time you have it. Like, I'm going to figure it out. But I, I just, I, I did have like this fear inside that, you know, if I went, like I would go and then the whole world would change or shift inside of me. And then I would come back and like, just want to quit everything. <laughs> but I mean, hey, I lost my job now. So like, now I'm like, there's nothing to lose. <laughs> but you see, the world never really changed. It's the way you see the perspective of yeah. your life, how you see the world change. Yeah. And, um, and I think in, in many ways, the world is just expanding or your consciousness expanding, your awareness expanding, and you start to understand that everything that we see, everything that we do is just basically illusion yeah. or um, a way for us to deal with energies or and to perceive it in a different way. Yeah. In other words, it gives you another way of seeing the world for what it is or re uh, really what it is. And that could be frightening, if you, especially if you, are gr gr if you grew up with certain yeah. uh, restrictions and belief systems. So all the belief system, in many ways, not all of them, but uh, many of them uh, fell apart. You know, so when I came back to New York, I, I decided that I'm not going to be doing advertising for consumer companies. I would do only work for nonprofit organizations uh, to do good for the, in the world. And slowly, slowly, I just got rid of them and I, and I started to work only for 
the ASPCA and for refugees and for all kinds of different uh, uh, organizations that help people. And that was my contribution. And I think that that was, is, I think that is a great example for people who think about changing their life. They don't really have, you, have to, you don't have to change what you do, but you have to change the focus of what you do. Yeah, so if you do if you do advertising, use all the the tools that you have or I, that I learn and all of that to promote what you believe in. So it's not a waste. So you don't have to be totally destroy your life, but you have to direct them to what works for your belief system. Yeah, I think that that was very useful uh, experience for me. Yeah, I really, really love that you say that because I think often, you know, sometimes people feel a little bit skeptical or nervous about, you know, working, doing this deep healing work work because they feel like it's going to blow up their entire existence. And I feel like, you know, I don't think that that's what it necessarily has to mean. Like, it's really about finding a different perspective on what it is you do do, because there has to be some reason why, you know, at least I'm a believer that there's some reason that you had those previous experiences, like they were necessary for you. Like even looking at your journey, you know, like you grew up like so surrounded by nature, like really in tune with, you know, the seasons and all this stuff. And at that time, it was just kind of like how you lived. But I'm sure that, you know, especially once you started really working in healing, you're like, oh, wow, this that was wonderful. That's an experience I can lean on. And then even with, you know, with advertising, first, you start working with companies that you're really passionate about and that are contributing to the world. But I think eventually that same advertising skill helped you probably launch your healing business, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But I love that you're making it very clear that you don't necessarily, like it's not like everyone doesn't have to jump off and be like, I'm going to blow up and like, I'm going to be a healer. Like you can, there's so many different ways that you can contribute to making the world, you know, a better place. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and also I think that uh, was very helpful was that when I realized that I could do healing work, I took the, the example of, of, of the indigenous shamans. And the indigenous shamans never really work full-time as healers. They always have the nine-to-five jobs or the daily work, the, 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 play, the, the job that makes them money. And when they do the healing, is second part of them which is a great teaching because one of the things that happened to our people, to people here is that they want to be healers. They want to work full times and they don't realize that because they are so dependent on their clients, Mm -hmm. they make compromises. Yeah. Uh, And when they make compromises, they're not really doing spirit work. Mm -hmm. And so if you have another job, another source of income that you're not totally uh, dependent on the healing, mm-hmm. then you don't look at your clients as a source of money mm-hmm. uh, in the same way that in many ways therapists do. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, social worker or therapist or psychotherapist, but they have a, like an, an ongoing income source. Mm-hmm. We don't lo- do that like that. We, we always, we, we, in the shamanic work, we, we, the idea is that you come to us in, in time of need, we do our job and we send you out to the world. We don't want you to be dependent on us. Mm-hmm. We want you to become independent. That's, that's, the, that's the proof of the healing. 
in the same way is 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 the is the the healer part here in in our culture we don't want people to work from nine to five and and become a burden so i did that transition throughout many years it's only the, the last five years or so that i i that i'm i fu- i move fully into more of of the shamanic role I, I, for many years i try to keep both the advertising marketing together with the the shamanic healing and it, it, in the same space or it kind of like change hands sometimes it was kind of a strange for many of my clients but that's what it was and so the transition was very seamless and even today i don't really do healing all the time i i only do it three days a week mm-hmm. and then the, the rest of the time i teach or I, i write books or i do other things yeah. but i don't put all the eggs in one basket because first of all if we talk about healing healing is is a is a very difficult and very dangerous job mm-hmm. I know that when I, when my teacher used to tell me that I used to laugh at them because what do you mean you're doing it so easily but it takes incredible toll energetic toll on the person because we are all absorbing energies and if we don't replenish it if we don't protect ourselves if we continually getting tired of doing it at the end it takes toll on our physical and we get sick and uh, usually the life the this the lifespan of a of a healer is a, could be about seven years wow so uh it's very very important to the first three years you put everything in it and, and then you're like a little slower and then you're like all of a sudden you start to feel yourself that you're getting you're getting sick mm-hmm. and uh, that's why i think it's very important uh, for any kind of a healer shamans or whatever it is to create balance to not to be dependent on the healing so you could be more objective instead of subjective uh that you would not be dependent on that that you have two sources that can supplement each other and create balance in your life and also to really practice self-care oh i love that i think that that's so that that that's such a great point just because you know like you are giving and sharing with another person when you're doing healing and you're stepping into their energy so making sure that you set up appropriate boundaries for yourself and balance is so important i just want to go back to um okay so you just got back you know and you're trying to figure you're trying to navigate this new world with this expanded consciousness like so how how did you start getting grounded like how did you start to you know i know that you said you know you went and you started changing practice like um taking on different clients and that was one way what are some other ways that you started to kind of you know step more into um into connecting the two worlds so i have to confess to you that i never believed that i have it that i can do it mm-hmm. so i remember that um <laughs> One time Don Jose Joaquin Pineda came to New York and I went to visit him in way deep in Queens where he stayed with his uh, daughter. We were walking on the street and he stopped and he said, are you doing healing? And I looked at him and I said, <laughs> I said, me? And he said, yes. And I, and I, I said, no. <laughs> and he said, you should. Mm. And I said, no. And he wow. said, well, you should. And I said, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a healer. I can help you. 
but I, I'm not a healer. I don't think of myself as a healer and I don't know anything. We started to work together. I mean, we, we were already working together. I, w- I was basically helping him, assisting him in, you know, inviting people for healing. And I was sitting as an apprentice, but I never really thought that I have any of this. So it, it took me a really long time. I mean, three years, he was like poking me and pushing me. And I, I, I call myself the reluctant shaman. I, I re- never really believed that I have, even if, even if I did great healing, even if I, I did all these visions and the, you know, all the stuff that are, you read in the books, I never really believed that it's me. So, Wait, who did you think it was? I don't know. I mean, I never really, and I still do in many ways. I don't think that it's me. I think that it's coming from spirit or coming from another source. In a way, when you do this healing, you, you transform. You become a channel. You're becoming, you, it's another part of you. And of course, I, I feel more confident now, but every time that I do candle reading or every time that I do Olympia, I'm still thinking that maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe this, maybe this time is not going to happen. Yeah. I don't, I don't go there in as a in a cocky way, in like a like arrogant way. I I still so surprised that it's it's working, yeah. and, and in many ways I kind of like it in a way because keeps you humble. It's more, it keeps you more humble and more in touch with the miracles of the magical part of that uh, shamanic work, mm-hmm. which is. Truly, I mean, I can explain it in my mind, but there is so much other thing that is not unexplainable. Unexpl- uh, it's just really miracles. Uh, because when you change that energy, you don't see the energy, but when you do, you know, you've been to the classes, you, you understand when you move all of this energy and taking, bringing in, yeah. it, it actually works. Uh, we don't know how, I mean, we think we know how, but it's still, there's, a, there's an element of magic. And going back to the skeptical part, before I went to teach in Poland, uh, I think it was five years ago, so maybe more, it was my, my cousin let me know that there is a letter that was written about my grandf- grandfather, what, what he was doing. Now, I met him when I was like really very young in Israel. Um, they brought him from Poland, he was uh, the grandfather of my mother, and he was a Kabbalistic rabbi oh, and a healer. Okay. But I never knew all of that. That he was he was healing, and basically, in many ways, I have the DNA, his DNA. You know, I'm following his my ancestors in doing this work. And the the interesting part about that was that he. Uh, he devoted his life to the work between the fight or the, the struggle between the, the good and evil or the light and darkness. A few years before, I started to work with people who are possessed and uh, with attachment. And I never thought about it. I never knew that I, I can do that. I, w- I, I got a lot of help from my teacher from the Amazon. They were teaching me how to, to do healing on that and also with Jose Joaquin in, in the Andes, but I was very involved, and I still do, with removing removing of negative energies of uh, possession and attachment and akuras uh, and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So to find out 
years, uh, years later that my grand-grandfather was doing it, gave me uh, two things. One of them is that I thought that I, I was very special for, for giving me the opportunity to work on that thing. But the, the other thing was that I was actually doing the work, continuing to do the work of my great-grandfather, allow me to accept the fact that maybe it wasn't a mistake. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't be so reluctant mm -hmm. to step into that role that is run in the family, that is run in, in our DNA. Each of us comes to this world for a different purpose. Uh, maybe that's my purpose. Yeah. Maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe it's just I'm, I'm just following uh, what fate or the cosmos wanted me to do. I came out from a very anti-religious background and I found myself continued to do the work that my great-grandfather, who was incredible, I mean, he was a very deep Kabbalistic rabbi, very, uh, very well known there. Wow, that's so beautiful. It's, it's just, life is just so fascinating in terms of how things are, you know, connected. And like, also, I think that one thing you kind of briefly touched on is that often, you know, because of the way society is right now, it just doesn't, at first impression, it feels like it just doesn't seem like an acceptable profession, you know, like you, for you to be a healer or to, for you to like work in the mystical art sector, it's kind of just like, yeah, okay, but are you going to get like a real job or something, you know? So like, it's, I feel like there's also like that stigma attached to it, right? Like that, that sense of like, well, yes, like that sounds cool, but is that like a thing? Like, can I do that? It seems too like out there, you know? <laughs> so like I, I, I feel like there's probably lots of people that kind of relate to that dichotomy. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about your time in the jungle, in the Andes. You know, what was that like, especially being in New York for so long, which is New York City, you know, it's a big city. And then to go from there to, you know, just right in the middle of nature. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience? You know, I when I first when I first went, that was in 1997, uh, 23 years ago. Was after two years, I already were doing this work, the connection to to spirit. When I landed in in the Andes, I really felt I came home. I never really felt that it's strange or bizarre or any of that. I really felt I'm home. I can't really tell you why. Uh, I do believe in past life, so I, you know, it could be that. Mm -hmm. But I really felt home, and I really felt like I know these people. I don't speak Spanish, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, a little bit here and there, but at that time I didn't know at all. But I was communicating with them with from my heart, and uh, they accepted me. We had incredible conversation through the heart and through you know, whatever. I, I don't know how it all happened, but I really felt like I'm coming home, that it wasn't something exotic, something that is different. It's just like there. And then, it's, and especially with the Amazon, I, I had a lot of questions. What is the Amazon? How it is the Amazon? How big the trees? How big is the rivers? I mean, because when you look at all of that, that experience is, is, a, is an enormous uh, and also frightening. We came with this little Cessna, little plane, uh -oh. <laughs> and we landed on a grass and they were they were waiting the warriors were waiting there with their with their dress i mean th that was many, that was 23 years ago so they were still dressed up like 
who they are, the Shuar people. Mm-hmm. And then we went on, uh, we landed and then uh, they took us in a canoe uh, into the river. And it's really like a National Geographic uh, stuff. And, um, you know, after half an hour or so, we landed in some place and we start walking into the jungle. Mm-hmm. Uh, they carry all our bags because it's, you know, it's in, for us, it was impossible. And then we got into that community or a family house, which is where they were. And it was just amazing. It was just so like coming home. And I, and I really believe that each of us as human, we are we, we basically animals. We basically connected to nature. We, we love nature. I mean, where are we going on vacation, right? We're going to nature, right? We're going to the beach. We're going to, to the oceans. We go to mountains. We go there because we want to be reconnected with nature. Yeah. And when you are in the Amazon, I also felt there like I'm home. Yeah. I, I was reduced to the normal size of human. <laughs> I love that. And I think that was so humbling experience. And I also uh, realized how unprepared I was. You know, I, I was walking, I, I came over there and I immediately I took off my, my, my shirt, I took off my, my shoes. I, I was just like, we are in the Amazon, right? So I started to walk barefoot. Uh-oh. <laughs> Except that we, we were walking to this hanging bridge over the river, which was so scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was walk, standing to talk with somebody on, before, the, 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 before walking on the bridge. Except that I didn't realize that I'm standing on a, a fire nest, a oh. fire ant nest. <laughs> oh. Oh. And of course, of course, they, they went all, all over my legs. And they gave me like a, a really a good lesson of, uh, you know, you can't stand in, in the forest because you, if you stand still, somebody will eat you. You oh. always have to be alert. But you see, that's, that's the learning. You have to learn the law. Yeah. It's like you're going to Times Square. You, you know, you have to learn the, 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 how, to, how to navigate that stream of, of pedestrian and cars. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but for, for I came like totally, oh, you know, here I am, you know, in, in the Amazon and, and you, you learn the lesson. But it was, um, I think that if we want to change our society, if, if, uh, if the United States want to become a better place, instead of sending kids to college for four years, one year they should send him to places like that, to, yeah. live, to live in other countries with other languages, to see that English is not the only language and our um, music and, and crappy cultures is the only culture that uh, other people live somewhere else and we have to learn to, to deal with them and treat them nicely. Yeah. Uh, that they have incredible value of wisdom. Yeah. That they know that every tree is a library. Every tree is a, is a community of, of plants and animals. Uh, and then the, the medicinal plant and the herbs and the flowers and all of that, we, we have to send our kids to other countries. Yeah. You know, there are people in the United States who never left the United States. They never had even passport. And so they think that everything is just like, yeah. plastic. everything is came out. Everything is plastic. 
Yeah, or they haven't even left their cities before. There are plenty of people that have never left their city or state. I And you know, it's so fascinating because in Europe, like when I started, so I started traveling early in life because my mom loves, loves to travel, but on my own as an adult, I didn't really start until like my mid twenties. And I remember, you know, when I would go to Europe and sometimes in the summertime with friends, I would meet all these interesting people and they, and they traveled, you know, as soon as they graduate high school, like they go somewhere, they go to Thailand, they go to, you know, Cambodia, they go to Canada, they go somewhere else and they live for, you know, a few months and they totally immerse themselves in that, in their culture. And then they come back and, you know, bring all of that knowledge. And I always thought that was so fascinating that it was so common, like no matter, you know, like, and it wasn't just rich kids in Europe that were doing it. It was like everybody, it was a very normal thing to do. So I completely agree with you. Yeah, because it's it's impossible to teach young kids who are yeah. their diet is burgers and uh, I don't know I don't know who's uh, Rihanna or other crap like that <laughs> to that the value of hikaros or teaching of song mm-hmm. or dance or being in in a place with no electricity and looking at the sky and the moon, but yeah. if they if they travel. If they meet people like that and they talk to them and they experience their wisdom, it will change their life. You know, we, we, that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to change the, or bring more balance to our society in the United States. Mm-hmm. And the only way is through experience because that shamanism is, is about your personal experience. It's not about teaching. It's not about books. It's not about watching a movie. It's about really experiencing with all your senses and including the six senses to to experience the world as a as a as a magnificent uh, marvelous place so i think that you know if um, if if any if anybody hear me over there is to to be able to get people maybe cut the college time for by by one year and send all of those kids to developing countries to do a service in africa in in um, in South America, in East Asia, and all of those places to help or to be assisting, take all of these experiences with with developing countries and help the poor and help. So to to do a service year, mm-hmm. and then then their world will start to expand because we can't really give them the experience without uh, change them without their experience. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like that gives me a nice segue into the next part of what I wanted to talk with you about. And it's shamanic journeying. So I think that like, like you said, shamanism is truly deeply embedded with experience and personal experience. And I find that your way of teaching shamanic journeying, like was really profound for me. Like I you know, I'm still, I think we share this in common because I'm like always like, well, is that real? Like, did I just imagine it? Like, you know, I have like a lot of insecurity when it comes to like this whole venturing into this, you know, world inside of my mind. I don't fully understand it, but I think that the way that you teach it and share and like how much you push for shamanic journeying, you know, in your teachings is, is really fantastic. So first, let's just, can you explain to people who aren't, you know, as familiar with shamanic journeying, what, what it means and how it works? <laughs> well, the basis of, uh, of shamanic journeying 
is the ability to transcend your consciousness or awareness from what we call the alpha state of mind or the brainwave into a beta, which is a lower vibration, which is similar to the time when you do meditation, you know, after 20 minutes or so, you kind of like not sure if you're awake or asleep or you start to go in between those two stated states. Mm -hmm. So um, the shamanic journey is by by drumming or by rattling, by creating that uh, repetitive sound, lower your brainwave and it's quiet the mind which allow you then to stop dreaming, which is what happened in dream state. Mm -hmm. So the idea here is to bring you into a dream state. Mm -hmm. And dream state is, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a mind state that all shamanic or indigenous cultures uh, celebrate. In, in, in its core, the, the idea is that the world that we see or experiencing in our five senses is only one. And it's only one because we are limited. Uh, humans are very limited animals. We hardly hear and we hardly see and we hardly taste and we hardly know how to touch and all that. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you take any kind of primitive animals like dogs that can smell from distances or see from distances or bees or any kind of animals, they develop ability to see more. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes when you see a dog or a cat like going like that, like following something in the air and there's nothing there, they see something that we don't. Mm -hmm. And what they see is energies mm -hmm. or body of energies. They're like in the same way that we are energies, mm -hmm. our body is not really a solid, you know, it's all made of water and calcium and other stuff. So we are all moving. Mm -hmm. uh, we, are, we, we are shaped in this form but in actually we are empty we are molecules and atoms and that are mm. running they see the same thing as holograms mm. now we have a way to look at, at visions as holograms but that's what it really is so spirit or energies are energies of objects and we say sometimes that we have spirit animals that are uh, inhibiting the lower world the the, the world of the mama Mm -hmm. uh, the earth or we have the spirit of the above the spirit of the upper world the, the masculine and then we have the spirit of the natural world mm -hmm. that are in a way only illusion mm -hmm. right because it's in our mind we see them as object and we call them names so let's say a glass of water a, gla a, uh, a glass we drink wine is really not a glass it's actually sand and sand is earth, right? Mm -hmm. So basically we drink from the earth, right? <laughs> but we call it glass, Yeah. right? So the same thing that when, when we do journey work and we go through these four consciousness gates, mm -hmm. um, we able to see through our concentration mind, uh, we can see the, these holograms, mm -hmm. those energies that otherwise we can't see. Mm -hmm. And each of those contain wisdom, contain consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so through our ability to concentrate with intention, we are interacting with the consciousness awareness of those objects, mm -hmm. or those spirit 
And those spirits can help us or guide us to live better life here on this earth or give us knowledge that otherwise we couldn't tell, we, we couldn't have. So the shamanic work is about learning to transcend from the everyday life, everyday consciousness to the higher consciousness or a deeper consciousness mm-hmm. to bring information and knowledge uh, and tools to help mm-hmm. us uh, heal the, the physical body, emotional body, spiritual body, and to heal the earth. I love that. All right, just to go a little bit deeper on shamanic journeying. So like most, I guess mostly I'll tell you a little bit about how I experienced it. So like I imagine myself either going up into the upper world, like you taught, or down into the lower world. I go to my favorite place in nature or the spirit world. And so then I kind of just allow my imagination to take over. So my spirit guide and I have an ongoing debate about whether or not this is real. (laughs) It is like a debate that happens. And I'm like, but did I make this up or did I not make this up? And then I get like all these like elusive answers. Does it really matter if you made it up? (laughs) And like, and I'm just like, but it does matter. And they're like, but does it though? So I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, for those of us that are still, you know, really working through trusting ourselves and trusting this process, how do you, you know, work on this imagination versus spirit thought process? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I'm looking for reassurance. (laughs) You remember I told you that when I came back the first time from the Amazon, I got into eight months of depression. The reason why I got into this depression is because I could not decide if it was real or not real Mm. or what's real. And then I decided that this building is not real and maybe I am not real. Is it real? But I'm real. I can touch. I I didn't know. And that was really shaking Mm. our ability to operate in what I call kind of stupid world because we, we believe that what we have or what we see is what it is. And all of a sudden, you will realize that it was illusion. Now, shamans live in these two worlds all the time. And the truth is that it doesn't really matter. I, what I came out, what I came out after, the way I came out of all these eight months of, of uh, deliberation and depression was that one day I got so tired of this fight between, in, in myself. And I said that it doesn't matter. What, what matters is the results. What matters is, does it work? Does it help other people? Or can I help with that information, other people? And then I dropped this idea. What I dropped was the preconditioned mind, a gatekeeper, the fear, the ego, what we call the ego part, that prevented us from become a full tool to, for spirit. So when you talk about it is only my imagination. I'm always asking, why did you mm-hmm. choose, why, why did your imagination choose this particular vision and not another? Mm-hmm. We, have, we can have trillions and trillions of other opportunities to choose, mm-hmm. but your mind chose this particular one. So I believe, and that's really what I, I tell people now, that spirit mm-hmm. sent you that. It's not your imagination at all. You are just receiving information. And I think we need to really allow that opportunity for spirit to speak through us without our intervention. 
without our asking if it's right or not, or this or not, or this or that. Or that. This is the human gatekeeper mat, uh, logical mind. But the world is much bigger and, and spirit are much louder. And they, they, if, if they chose to show you certain vision, it must be real and correct for this particular moment. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. I feel like that'll definitely help. It helps me, but it also helps. Uh, to, I think it'll help a lot of other people. Okay, so another question is really about you know how do you experience energy healing? Like, what do you see flashes? Do you is it feelings? Like, how do you kind of you know like talk to me a little bit about your personal experience with working with energy? You know, I used to poo poo all of that stuff. I used to say ah. <laughs> That's, you know, not real. But, you know, the, the easiest way to do, really, is to understand that our body is full of electricity. That's the heat of our body, right? Our body is full of at molecular atoms, subatoms, all of that thing that are moving all the time. Faster, you get hotter. Slower, you get colder. And so our body is always radiate energy all around. And when we walk, we walk with our, this energy all around us. And we enter somebody's home, we leave energy imprints on that place because energy never goes away, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's always energy. One way to do it is to just put the two hands together like that, like mm-hmm. in a distance, right? Mm-hmm. And you can, feel, you can feel the energy between the two. And then if you move your energy, right, you start to get whole, like a little in your hands right mm-hmm. or if you do that you can start opening your third eye mm-hmm. or you can do healing around i mean you, you heard about that practice it's called reiki right yes 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 <laughs> <laughs> very familiar <laughs> so reiki is a, in in many ways a, the the basis of it is, is shamanic work mm-hmm. or energy work packaged in a different way mm-hmm. um, uh, actually most of healing modalities today people call them all kind of different names mm-hmm. they are all the roots are from the shamanic uh, healing traditions like yeah. herbs and plants and mm-hmm. rocks and crystals and and uh, energy and um, you know all of that fire all of it is, is come from the human experience with nature mm-hmm. and that's what we call shamanic healing mm-hmm. um, we don't separate them into pieces Mm-hmm. And we don't rebrand them because uh, we, it will be strange because um, in the shamanic healing, the shamans choose the tools mm-hmm. that work for the client. And, and sometimes it's a conversation, sometimes, it, so it's, sometimes it's psychotherapy, sometimes it is uh, energy healing, hands-on, and sometimes it's Reiki, and sometimes it's... Uh, Journeying journeying and sometimes it's plants and diet and so we don't really separate we have to be expert in all of those Mm -hmm. uh, modalities without giving them names you know and i i my take on on it is that if you go to reiki um, which absolutely have results but it's not sometimes it's not all that person needs Mm-hmm. But that's only only what the person can give, mm-hmm. uh, because it's it's categorized. It's put them in yeah. in a category. 
So the shamanic healing is, is using everything you have to make a change and uh, demonstrable change. So uh, it's not um, divided into different branches. Uh, yeah. So we, you need to know a lot and to learn from the experience. Yeah. And usually spirit do that work. Yeah, it'll guide you exactly to where you need. Like it's, I like I started, you know, with astrology, and then you know, then started working with crystals, then with Reiki, and then into shamanism. And I feel like shamanism is the perfect, like, allows me to pull all the tools and use all the things, you know. So I, I, I love that. Okay, so it, now that you have all this wonderful experience, if you can go back to a younger you, first learning all this healing work what advice would you give yourself? I would tell myself to trust my gut. Um, you know, because at that moment, at that time, I never thought I would be teaching around the world. I would never thought that I will write books. That was the last thing I ever thought. I would never think that, thought that I would be a healer. Mm-hmm. I, I think that all of it came from uh, trusting my gut or understanding my life purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, although I really cared what other people thought of me, mm-hmm. um, at the end, I think that the more important for me was to do what's right. Um, you know, I know that a lot of people carry that burden. You know, they are worried what their families will do, what their families will say, if they can support themselves or not, uh, if it's, you know, if it's crazy or not crazy, I mean, all of that. You know, my, my family also had a lot of resistance to that in the beginning, you know. Yeah. Uh, and rightly so, because all of a sudden, in, in the middle of all of it, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. Yeah. And, I, and I left a lot, you know. That I, I, I went in 97, and then I, I went in 98. And then I went six years to teach in Hawaii. And then I went for six years to teach in to to organize trips to the to Brazil to the Amazon, mm-hmm. and then I started to t- so it, it wasn't like I, it was just like one one thing. Mm-hmm. I really followed I followed spirit in many ways, if you can look at it this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did not. I mean, I understood the the fear that were for people around me, and and especially when I had my advertising agency, I used to disappear into the jungle. Mm-hmm. and uh, they, they didn't know where I was because I had my Blackberry at that time and I was texting oh. from, from the Rio Negro, from <laughs> the middle of the jungle. Yeah. We had the one spot where we can uh, do, and they didn't know where I was. Um, I was trying to maintain it, thank God for technology. Uh, but, you know, the, this transition, but I, I, I felt really strongly that I need to do this work and I didn't know why. I mean, it wasn't like I, somebody tell, told me that, this is what's going to happen 25 years later. If somebody would have told me that, I would just laugh at them. <laughs> so I think that it's the best thing is probably follow your gut. Never allow the fear of others to stop you from fulfilling your life purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and allow people to be afraid because if you, when you change, they're, they're, they're afraid that some, something else will change in their life. And they, they don't like that. I mean, a lot of people are afraid of change. For me, I always wanted change. I wanted always. I was curious. I wanted to know more. And it wasn't that I was ruthless with my family or uh, with my clients. I, I I kept the balance between them. 
but mm-hmm. I never gave up. I never would not, I would not go to, to what I needed to do or I felt that I needed to do. Um, I prepared it. I, I made sure that they are fine, that they have enough resources before, when I left. Even if I didn't have the money, I, I always find a way to work for it or find a way to make deals so I can go and travel because I traveled a lot. Yeah, but it's really about following, following your heart, following your gut, mm-hmm. uh, not listening to your fear. Because, you know, I, every time I, I went, I said, what the hell I'm doing? I'm crazy. Why did I get involved in all of that? You know, I, this voice is still in me all the time. But, you know, like that's what a, some of the things I teach is really to be shamanic warriors. It's never really to, to recognize the fear, to recognize your limitation, to recognize that, but never give up on, uh, on your mission, on life. And, you know, if you have that company that you are pushing and pulling, you do everything possible to be successful. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying in ruthless way yeah. or on, on other people's expenses, mm-hmm. but you, that passion that you have for something will demonstrate itself with the, the way people will buy your product, the, the way you communicate with this product, and the way you're going to be investing your time in, in developing and not getting discouraged for every little thing that happened badly. I love that. Wow. This was so awesome, Itzhak. It really warmed my heart talking with you, as always. You know, I love to take your classes, and I just, uh, I love it. Um, So (laughs) before we go, I always love to ask um, a little bit more about how you personally feed your soul and how you personally manage, you know, self-care. So I have three quick questions to ask you about. So the first one is, um, are there any consistent activities or rituals that you do to maintain a sense of inner peace? I do yoga uh, at least three times a week, which I think that is incredibly important to maintain the agility, the, uh, the ability to move, balance, and all of that. So I highly recommend uh, to do that. I also, for the last, and I do it for the last 25 years or so. And for the last 25 years, since I started to work, 23 years, since I worked with Jose Joaquin Pineda, I do every Tuesdays and every Friday, I have an altar that I work on. And, you know, I do ceremonies at sunrise and I light the candle and smoke and flowers and and speak to the, the direction and speak to my wakas on the on the hammer on the um, altar the mesa so that and i and i try to eat well for a long time i was uh pescatarian mm-hmm. um now i eat more meat because i need that i, f- I feel i really need that uh, but to eat in moderation there are two things that i do to support myself is i drink cappuccino Mm-hmm. And I and I eat dark chocolate. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> These are two things that are very important because I I believe that cappuccino, which is coffee, is a plant medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it helps the brain. It helps the your stamina. Mm-hmm. And chocolate have this flavoring, uh, the the ingredient that makes you feel love. And love is everything. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. <laughs> so who is the most inspirational person you've ever met and what did they reveal to you that never left you? I think all my teachers, all my 
shamanic teachers, each one of them brought me a different aspects of healing or teachings or practices. But I want to say that especially my, my, my main teachers, uh, Don Jose Joaquin Pineda, gave me that idea of how to work with the masculine and the feminine energy in power to totally go for it, not to do it halfway. But at the same time that you are a warrior is to keep your heart open, which is a thing that is a great, great teaching. And he's so grounded in his own tradition. There's no fakeness there. He's just like part of the mountain, mm-hmm. which is a great thing. Ipupiara from uh, Brazil, from the Amazon, was a great influence on me, especially with the idea of that we are all shamans, we are all teachers, we are all came here to heal and teach other people. Um, the, and, you know, and, and a lot of the, the, the way he worked with people was um, very influential. But I think also from the Western people, um, I think John Perkins was uh, very influential and, uh, and we're still in very good connection about the connection between shamanism, spiritual work and social responsibility and how one part, the political part, the economical part, uh, influence spirituality and how spirituality can uh, influence um, the, the basic of life. And I think that uh, I, I salute a lot his work and his uh, bringing this consciousness mm-hmm. uh, to big corporations and to us as, as people to to, to, give, to empower each of us to change the way that we do business or the way we change our life, to be able to, be, to live more in sustainable sustainability and, and uh, responsibility for yeah. one another and for the, the greater good. Yeah. And I know that many people are talking about it and, and doing a lot to it, but um, I think that he's, he's an inspirational for me, for, for the work that he's done on behalf of uh, the people of the Amazon, uh, which is also my part of my work too. Because I truly believe that we must uh, preserve the the people, the cultures of the Amazon and and the environment that they are in, because that's the only alternative that we have for this Western industrial life that goes wrong. Yeah. We, are, we are really destroying our world and we are not able to protect our grandchildren and children and families in the future. So it is so essential for us to wake up and do whatever we can personally. We, we must be actively doing things, not just praying. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I definitely think that there's a lot that as individuals we can do to kind of contribute to, you know, preserving the preserving you know nature but also preserving the teachings you know like some of these teachings are oral and they're not you know they haven't been written and I feel like like we definitely need to preserve that information and that knowledge we need it so yeah okay and then my final question was about books so I know that you're a big reader so like you've mentioned a bunch of books um throughout the course of our talk today but I wanted to kind of end on you know what um what are some of your favorite books (laughs) <laughs> well, I have to tell you, uh, after doing the three books that I did, I stopped reading. I stopped reading. 
I just can't, I can't look at the book anymore. <laughs> I love that. I, I, I produced these three books, although I wrote them about 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, all, all these three books. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I wrote them for about, you know, uh, maybe 10 years on and off. But the last five, I did all of them in, in three or four years. Mm -hmm. I was like really working really, really hard and doing it. So I have a little PTSD from writing. So yeah. I, I didn't read many books. But I highly recommend to mm -hmm. read uh, Hank Russellman, mm -hmm. The Spirit Walker, and all his trilogy, where I, that, that, that's the book that I started with. Mm -hmm. And then I, and then all John Perkins books, because this is really the foundation mm -hmm. of becoming conscious about the, the, uh, the, the old tradition, the new economy, and the role that we play in destroying it, and how it's, it is important to keep all of those traditions as a blueprint mm -hmm. for us to save us, not to save them, yeah. but to save us. Yeah. Because otherwise, we would never remember there is a way out of this nightmare that we are living in. Yeah. So that's very important. John Perkins is very important. Uh, Into the Circle by uh, Olga, I forgot her last name, is, is an amazing book mm -hmm. uh, about a, a woman who is, um, who is a psychotherapist in uh, Siberia that discover shamanism and that book really inspired me a lot. Yeah. Um, and so there's there's a lot of books. Um, Luis Miguel Madrone is, is a is a fantastic um, author, a Native American guy who uh, he's also a doctor and um, shaman who wrote about uh, the coyote medicine, which is very very beautiful. Um, there are so many books that are now. I mean, when I started many years ago, there was only maybe five books. <laughs> now uh, there is I don't know I mean you have to go to Amazon to see how many books on on shamanism yeah uh, maybe like a few thousand books and and one comes every every day and but there are plenty of really good books uh, to read yeah um, and they they really inspire you know uh, and of course my books yes yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna get to that. You guys definitely have to check out all of his books. So there's Shamanic Healing, Traditional Medicine for the Modern World. <laughs> and then there's Shamanic Transformation. So this one, I, I feel like very much um, was inspirational to me because I love learning about awakenings. And then there's The Gift of Shamanism. These are all available on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so, 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 so much. I love this. I love talking with you. Can you please tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you? Well, um, on my website, which is myname.com, itsakbiri.com, mm -hmm. uh, you can find all this information and, um, and uh, different workshops and teachings. And I do a lot of Zoom now because of uh, the time. And uh, also on my, my other website, it's called a shaman portal mm -hmm. and shaman portal is a hub for all the global shamanic activities which is part of the uh, my commitment to the spirit of the jungle to help them spread the word about the importance of indigenous teachings and the environment 
uh, and we are now doing a lot of different webinars, uh, bringing people from the Amazon and from many different parts of the world to teach. Uh, pretty inexpensively so to spread the word. And then uh, for the New York Shamanic Circle, which is an organization that uh, I was co-founding, uh, founder of uh, that started in 1997. So um, here it is. Uh, there's a lot of uh, work that I do and you can always join me. Um, I hope in person. Yes. Oh, I can't <laughs> wait. I want to give you a big giant hug. I can't wait for that. <laughs> Thank you me too. so much. So thanks everyone for tuning into the Magic Hour. We hope you enjoyed listening. Be sure to check out the show notes at mylittlemagicshop.com for more information on today's guest, Sock Fairy. We hope to see you again next Sunday. And as always, sending you so much light, love, and magic. Remember, without a dream, you can't have a dream come true. So make sure you're out there making your own magic.